So hi, I'm Dana. Welcome to the VIP Home Podcast. Here we have Corey from the NFPA. And Corey, how long have you been with the NFPA and what got you passionate about preventing fires? So funny you ask, I'm about two weeks shy of my two-year anniversary, um, but I'm a third-generation master electrician, uh, grew up here in Michigan, still reside here, um, and you know I've grown up around electrical things all my life. My grandfather owned a business, dad rolled off and started his own, I did my own, um, and when I started looking around, um, wanting to get out of the contracting side of the business, but use my knowledge that I had. Um, you know, I knew of NFPA because I've worked in the National Electrical Code, you know, my whole career. Um, and I'm passionate about electrical safety and, and keeping people safe and keeping property safe. And with that, you know, I figured what better stage to take my career to if I can get there than to be a part of NFPA um, to help with that electrical safety side of things. Well, very cool. Happy almost anniversary. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so a homeowner has been in their home, say, for a few years and wants to ensure their home is electrically safe. Is there a checklist of items that people should reference to? So newer homes, um, you know, and if it was built recently, so you say they've been there a few years, <clears throat> I would say because it's been inspected, things are probably pretty much on the up and up at that point. Not, not necessarily but you know so you still check certain things but there's typical maintenance things that that need to happen for functionality of course uh, smoke detectors carbon monoxide detectors test the functionality make sure batteries are replaced as needed um, and then you get into the other side with uh, ground fault circuit interrupters or gfcis as we call them um, those are typically receptacles um, often located uh, kitchens bathrooms outdoors in garages uh, unfinished basements um, typically have those. And, and now with the 2020 NEC, if they're on that, uh, all basement receptacles have GFCI protection. Uh, but those are the ones with the little test and reset buttons. Um, so those should be tested based on manufacturer's instructions. So depending on what manufacturer it is, they may have something a little different, but um, you can't overtest. So <laughs> if you wanna test them once a week, uh, I'm sure that's within the limitations of the manufacturer's instructions. Okay, um, so you were talking about smoke detectors and how often should people be testing their smoke alarms and carbon monoxide detectors? I wanna be safe and it's a, it's a quick test. You know, I can run around the, the house, I'm fairly tall, so I get my little, my little step stool and I can jump up there and, and push the button. And, and what I have in my home are the uh, synchronized um, uh, alarms, which is more common in, in newer homes um, where they're, they're, the wiring structure uh, has them all interconnected. So when one goes off, they all go off. Um, and there are uh, options for that technology-wise now where that, that happens wirelessly as well. So if you currently don't have uh, smoke detectors that are interactive, mm -hmm. um, that's a good thing to look into is maybe replacing those. I know you probably don't want to do the entire wiring uh, structure, uh, but if you can get those uh, ones that operate on radio frequency but are still interactive with one another, it's a, it's a good thing to think about um, to upgrade to those just based on the fact that you know, if you've got a, a fire going in the basement, perhaps um, that takes a while uh, to, to smell it or, or understand what's going on down there, you know, it's going to sense that a lot sooner and let people know on the second level of the home, hey, we have a problem. Um, let's let's figure out what's going on. So when that chirping starts, people, you know, then tend to change the batteries out. Then, if the chirping doesn't go away, you just replace the whole unit. It's probably expired or. 
Good question. Yeah. So the, the, the units um, typically are a 10 year shelf life. Um, and some of the newer ones have uh, the internal lithium batteries in it that in that case, um, you know, after 10 years, they just stopped working. Uh, but the other ones have, you know, they're typically 120 volt power to them with nine volt battery backup. Um, in that case, uh, you know, you, you change that, the chirping out. Um, one, one good practice I would suggest, um, and I do in my own home, is because when you change those batteries out, um, they want you, at least on the, the synchronized units, they want you to hold that button in for a while and test it and cycle through with a particular manufacturer I have, which is pretty common. Mm-hmm. Um, or otherwise, you're going to hear that, you know, chirping here or there. Maybe it's the one upstairs or the one downstairs that has that little <laughs> chirp to it. But, you know, that that resetting or installing the new battery and then resetting the whole system by cycling so everything's going off at once will help to prevent those chirps in, in most cases. What do you suggest with electrical panels and circuit breakers when people are checking those? Um, how often should they be checked and or maintained or switched out? So the panels themselves, because they're behind closed doors, um, typically a homeowner isn't going to and, and likely shouldn't be taking that cover off to inspect anything behind that. That's something you should get a professional to do. Okay. Uh, but the, the breakers themselves, when you swing the door open, you have the access. Um, we, we talked about the GFCIs earlier, and I, I mentioned that typically they're in a receptacle. Um, well, they also make GFCI breakers that has a test and reset, well, has a test button, and then you turn the breaker off to reset the whole thing. Um, and in some cases, the installer may utilize that because then they can use less GFCIs on the other side, or there may be an issue uh, with where the receptacle is being installed uh, with accessibility, where somebody could actually get in there. <laughs> to hit that test and reset button. So they may put it at the at the electrical panel in a circuit breaker capacity just to be able to have access to it in that case. So that's a good thing to look at um, and make sure, uh, you know, all that stuff's functional. Test that regularly like you would the receptacles. Um, electrical panels, um, typically what I, what I looked for when I was working in the field and would go out is, is clearance in front of them because, you know, space is, is hard to come by, especially in, in smaller homes um, or, or even condos and things of that nature where, you know, typically, uh, you know, if it's in a closet or something of that nature, um, you know, things get stacked in front of it. Uh, and you don't have that accessibility to where you can know something's going on, where you can get to it quickly if you need to, to turn something off. Um, so I would say, make sure you, you keep that area in front of it, uh, you know, at least three foot clearance in front of it. Um, that's also there. So if you have an electrician come in to work on it, um, they can have that accessibility uh, with safety around them without anything in the way impeding what they're trying to do um, safely. Some people, whether it's newer construction, older homes, don't have GFCIs in a bathroom that butts up to an, an existing bathroom on the other side of the wall. So can those outlets or the GFCIs be offloaded from one to the next? Great point, and you are going you're you're going to cut into the service uh, service work for some of the electricians out there, but that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you our little <laughs> but yeah. What's so, yeah, the secret? So, great point, and I should have mentioned that. So thank you for bringing it up. So mm-hmm. GFCIs, yes, can be uh, fed downstream uh, to feed other outlets or receptacles and give them GFCI protection. And that happens commonly. So if you go into a kitchen, especially in a newer home, you might just find a couple GFCI outlets with the actual test reset buttons, but then you'll have other outlets that are just plain looking receptacles like anything else throughout the rest of the house. But they're all uh, essentially daisy chained off the load side of that GFCI 
So mm-hmm. if something goes wrong and there's a ground fault that's sensed at those regular receptacles, it will trip the regular GFCI. So how do you know where they are? If you're going into a house, I feel like those aren't labeled like, hey, you're in the master bathroom, but it's actually the GFCI, the test reset is going to be, you know, in the office downstairs. Yes. How do you know? Therein lies the electrician (laughs) service call. Yep. And I, you know, I, I've gotten to the point where, you know, when I was still in, in the contracting world, you know, when I received that phone call, Hey, you know, my, my, uh, front porch receptacle isn't working. Okay. Well, go through, check your garage, you know, receptacles, Mm -hmm. look for a GFCI and try to reset it, you know, because I felt bad. I would go out and, and, you know, walk around, you know, and check a couple areas and push a button and, Say, you know, there's your $125 service call. Right. For, and for thank you very that. much you know, for calling. Weighing <laughs> on my conscience at that point. So, so, but yeah, that's, that's the reality is that you, even in like um, bathroom uh, applications. So the NEC or National Electrical Code only requires uh, one circuit uh, for a bathroom, bathrooms in a home. So you can, you can daisy chain oh. the receptacles between the bathrooms. So you could have a powder room on the first floor. Uh, that has the GFCI receptacle in it that's right. powering off the load side, uh, second floor uh, bathroom that's just got a standard receptacle in it. It's supposed to have still be identified that it's GFCI protected, so it should have a sticker on that regular receptacle plate. Um, but if you're upstairs in the second floor with a, a curling iron or my blow dryer, as I typically use, <laughs> it's, it's uh it's a, um, a scenario where you, you know, the thing trips and you're going, what's going on? Like go down to the breakers. And so, so that's kind of the secret is, you know, it's, it's not always going to be located in the same area or necessarily on the same floor. Now bathrooms, you know, if it's bathroom related, yes, mm-hmm. go through all the bathrooms in the home and check it out. If it's kitchen related, check all around the kitchen um, garages. You know, I've had issues where, you know, storage, when you start putting in shelves and things like that, and somebody throws, you know, a, a bowling ball bag or something up on, on the thing and you right. can't see it. Um, right. So that, so that's what I, somebody, you know, that previous scenario I gave with the, the outside outlet that wasn't working. If I'm going through the garage, I'm starting to pull stuff off the shelves because they may not even remember there's right. a receptacle there. And that receptacle there just happens to be the GFCI receptacle that's tripped for whatever reason. No, that makes perfect sense. So how do homeowners know if they have an overloaded or warm outlet without actually going and touching it? So overloading is typically in speaking to electrical panels that are circuit breakers, mm-hmm. you're going to get those circuit breakers that are tripping um, okay. you know, or, or turning themselves off. They, they typically uh, go to the midpoint, um, you know, where they just kind of feel a little wobbly and you have to fully turn them off before they can be reset. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing I would suggest if, if power goes out to somewhere in the house, um, you know, go down and check your electrical panel that's clear of everything you need <laughs> to get to it <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and check those breakers. And sometimes they, they'll stick in the uh, on position. So it feels like they're on. But if you kind of just lightly run your finger down, they'll, they'll jump back to that mid position um, and you'll know where the issue is in what particular circuit. Um, and then, you know, turning it off and trying to reset it may do the trick uh, if it was an overload situation. Um, and whatever was overloading it is out of the equation at that point. Uh, but if it's a short circuit, you know, something uh, maybe within a box, wires are touching or something that shouldn't be based on a loose plug that got wiggled. Uh, in that case, it may it may be a dead short and it, it may not want to reset. So in that case, um, no question, you're going to need to call an electrician. Um, with the overloads, um, 
not necessarily that you would always need to call an electrician. I would I would check, you know, and see if it will reset itself. But if it continuously continually does that, mm-hmm. I would uh, I would I would call an electrician. But sometimes, um, you know, big things in homes are anything that generates heat. So you you talk about kitchens with hot plates, microwave ovens. If you have a portable microwave that gets moved around and sat at a different spot in a counter that isn't built in. Um, bathrooms when you talk curling irons hair dryers uh space heaters if you're using those somewhere within the home anything that generates heat is typically going to have a higher load um so when you start having one or more of those things plugged into the same circuit as well as other just general things that are plugged in it can overload pretty quickly so it may be a matter of just you know finding a new place to plug it in or something of that nature okay that makes sense what are the biggest electrical hazards in a home and how can someone avoid them? Boy, that's a trick question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say, um, you know, in any case, the obvious things, if you start seeing receptacles that are charred, um, you know, switches that seem uncomfortably hot to the touch. Now, I know some dimmers will get a little warm, um, not, not necessarily hot. That's not entirely abnormal. Uh, but if it's something that just seems off, you know, I would reach out to get somebody to take a look at it. Um, when you look at uh, cords from appliances and things like that, that may be frayed, um, you know, those are those are the big ones, um, I would say, in any home. But when you start getting into older homes, you can have scenarios where uh, maybe lights are flickering, things of that nature, which typically a flickering light in an older home may mean that you have uh, loose connections within the panel or, or somewhere within the wiring system. And anything that's loose, uh, it's a connection, anything like that is, you know, it's arcing and it's creating heat. Um, and at some point, you know, if it's in the wrong scenario with combustible material close by, that could pose a, a, a huge problem. Um, right. When it comes to electrical home improvement projects or repairs, how should one handle those? Is there anything that a homeowner can do on their own or should all electrical be, you know, for professional eyes and hands only? So me being the electrician, of course, I say, you know, find a professional to do it just to be safe. Mm-hmm. But I guess this, this is my baseline. You know, everybody has to assume their own risk within the parameters given. Um, you know, in, in some states, like, for example, here in Michigan, homeowners are allowed to, to pull their own electrical permit and, okay. and, and do that work themselves but they have to have the permit. And then of course it gets inspected. So, you know, the inspector is going to be that kind of checks and balances to verify that everything is done properly um, and it's safe to move into the home. Um, things that, that are being done, maybe a, a weekend warrior project or something like that, where they're not doing uh, permits, uh, you, even though maybe they should be. So that's something first and foremost to verify what you can do without, or, or with, you know, without a permit. Um, but stay within those parameters. But then, you know, if it's something that a permit's not required for, maybe it's changing out a light fixture or something like that, it's, it's the personal risk that you, that you want to assume based on that. Um, you know, just a, a little scenario. I mean, just because, and I've walked into lots of homes where something has been, you know, wired by the do-it-yourselfer, uh, but, you know, the way it's done, maybe, maybe the wires are stripped back a little bit too far from the wire nut. And yes, it's working right now, but maybe it's posing a problem for the future um, and you don't know what's going to happen down the line. And certainly electricians can make mistakes too, but they're probably more privy to what those mistakes are and 
not making them, uh, you know, intentionally anyways. Um, but, you know, I've seen that scenario where, you know, something's been done that, yes, it's working, uh, but that's not, from an electricity standpoint, that's not the check, hey, it's safe and it's good. It means it's working for the moment, uh, but could certainly pose problems in the future. So that's where I think maybe some of the DIY projects, at least that I've seen and walked into uh, to verify something or whatnot, um, have been a little a little on the, the uh, side where I would say maybe you probably shouldn't have done that yourself. Right. No, that makes sense. I feel like electricity should always be left to the pros unless maybe you're hanging a fixture, which that's maybe a comfortable project that people can do on their own if they don't have to pull wires or, you know, reconfigure anything. Yep. I would say that that's, that's probably a pretty common thing when somebody come, moves into a, uh, a new home that's, you know, that's a new old home <laughs> that they want to go through and kind of maybe change out and update some fixtures and things like that. Uh, I'm certainly not going to say that, they, you know, they, they can't do that, that they shouldn't do that. Um, check to see if a permit's needed for it. And then aside from that, it would just be your personal, you know, comfort level uh, right. and assumed risk in order to do that. Right. No, that makes sense. So talking of risks, when should a homeowner get an electrical inspection? Is that a yearly thing? Is that just when they move in, when that original inspection is done? Or when does that take place? Yeah, so from a from a new home standpoint, um, there's typically at least three inspections uh, that happen. So the electrical service gets inspected, um, mm -hmm. and that's usually put uh, put into the the house early in the project because they like to utilize the power source to build the project uh, right. in a lot of cases. Um, and then there's a rough inspection, so that's before anything gets insulated or drywall or any kind of wall coverings put on it. The inspector will come through and make sure that all the backbone structure wiring is supported properly and not exposed and things of that nature. Um, and then once, you know, all the finishes go on and just before they're getting ready to move in, um, the final inspection will take place. So they'll come in and check that, you know, GFCI receptacles got installed where needed and fixtures are, you know, uptight to the ceiling as they need to be and smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors are located where they should be. Um, so that's kind of the, the baseline inspection for a newer home. That's the process. And that's, you know, most jurisdictions, that's what they follow. Um, but older homes, you know, Typically, you, you have uh, home inspectors that will take a look at the electrical system. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, knowledge varies based on that. Some are very, very knowledgeable. Um, some may know a little bit about electrical. Um, so again, that's, you know, you, you take your, uh, your report that comes and decide what you want to do with it. I've gotten plenty of phone calls uh, wanting you know, me to come out and take a look based on a homeowner's inspection report um, and make adjustments accordingly. And some of them uh, were code issues. Some of them weren't, um, but um, it was always good to have that, you know, set of eyes looking at it saying, hey, maybe there's a problem here. Maybe there isn't. And then the professionals came in and right, said, right. yes, it is or no, it isn't. Um, but as far as, you know, uh, living in a home, being in a home and getting it regularly inspected, that's not all that common. Um, not that you couldn't do that if you wanted to, uh, mm -hmm. but it's just not a typical thing that happens. It's usually, uh, you know, a new build or a transactional, you know, thing where, where somebody's out. buying it and yep, yep, coming in. So okay, no, that makes complete sense because they're usually only called if something is wrong. Yes, yep. <laughs> that's the other thing. We get lots of calls that something's wrong. So. <laughs> um, help. Yes. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. So regarding smart home technology, do you have any tips for homeowners using that smart home technology? So I would say the main thing is just 
kind of be conscientious of the loads again. Um, you, I think the typical thing for homeowners to understand or hopefully understand is like light bulbs. Um, you know, the, the loads, you know, are, are uh, specifically rated in, in wattage. Um, you know, the sockets for the receptor for the uh, light fixture will typically have a sticker on it that says, you know, 60 watt max or 100 watt max. Um, so you want to make sure you don't overload that. Um, but with the technology, you know, with the loads and everything that's there, I would say make sure you're uh, adhering to that as well. You know, make sure that, uh, you know, you're not overloading whatever's required. Um, I know there's kind of two parts to the, the home uh, technology where, you know, it's kind of running through an app and you can figure out what's going on. One of them is more um, suited for DIY individuals where you can you know, buy an outlet that plugs into your existing outlet and then you can plug your lamp into that. And then it runs through the lamp and it's all wireless readings from there. Um, There's also scenarios um, where you have uh, light bulbs that are already smart light bulbs that have the same thing where they have the wireless capability to tie in with the app just by being screwed into the socket. Um, So those are pretty, pretty basic. You know, anyone can do that. Just be conscientious of the loading again. Um, But there's also uh, smart home devices that, that need to be installed and connected to 120 volt power. Uh, you know, and in those cases, again, it's going to go back to uh, your comfort level, uh, what your your jurisdiction allows you to do personally yourself, uh, whether you want to get in there and try, you know, changing the wires around and, and getting everything where it needs to be. Some of those devices can have uh, additional wiring requirements and things of that nature, um, you know, that aren't just as cut and dry as, you know, putting on a receptacle and landing it on the, the screws that are there for a normal receptacle, Um so it can get a little uh, a little more difficult, I would say, for that installation. But, you know, they may be able to still do that depending on um, what their jurisdiction allows and what the comfort level is. Can homeowners go on the NFPA website and see any specific electrical safety tips on there? Absolutely. Yeah. So we have uh, we have different components to our website. Um, and I would love to be able to rattle off the URL for you right now, but I can't. Um, but if you go to our... <laughs> if you go to nfpa.org um, and you will you will get the whole plethora of our table of contents and there's a, there's a public uh, public um, facing section there that is more homeowner geared for that. Uh, another great one for homeowners that we're also affiliated with. Um, one of our vice presidents is on there uh, is the chairman of their board of directors uh, is uh, Electrical Safety Foundation International. So that's esfi.org. And there's a ton of stuff on there that's homeowner related as well uh, that would be very helpful to, to help supplement our things. Amazing. Well, Corey, loved having you on our podcast today. And Happy hope, to be here. Hope that you'll come back again for a second round. Absolutely. It was, it was painless. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Have a great day. You too.